Good morning. My name is Matt. I'm the associate pastor here at the church. And I will tell you this, if you think I'm going to be as cute up here as those kids were, um, you're going to be vastly disappointed. So they're pretty, like, just love watching the kids sing. So, um, hey, if you've been around the last few weeks, you'll know this. If not, no big deal. But we are continuing in our um, Christmas series that we are calling Christmas Reels. And in this series, what we're doing is we are taking um, a classic Christmas movie, finding a theme within that, that movie, um, and then looking uh, what the Bible has to say, say about that. And so um, just like each week, if we're going to watch a movie, we want to do snacks, right? You can't go to the movie without having snacks. And so they're going to bring in snacks. And the snacks are bringing in today, for me anyway, outside of popcorn, when I think of a movie, I think of Twizzlers and Milk Duds, and so that's what we have. So grab a snack, um, and then the, the, enjoy the video that will show, begin here shortly. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant, oh, come ye, oh, come ye to When the McAllister family left on their Christmas vacation... Did we miss the flight? No, you just made it. Yeah! They forgot one small thing. Have yourself... I have a terrible feeling. Christmas. Did you lock up? Yeah. Do we set the timers on the lights? Mm-hmm. What else could we be forgetting? Our troubles will be ours. Kevin! Ah! Home Alone. Police in the northern suburbs are on the lookout for a pair of burglars who are calling themselves the Wet Bandits. We know that you're in there. It's Santa Claus and it's Elf. Get off my property. This is my house. I have to defend it. Where's your mother? My mom's in the car. Where's your father? He's at work. What about your brothers and sisters? I'm an only child. Where do you live? Can't tell you that. Why not? Because you're a stranger. He's a kid. I mean, what can a kid do to us? Kids are stupid. I know I was. You still are, Mark. This is it. Ow! I don't care if I have to get out on your runway and hitchhike. I am going to get home to my son. Why do you dress like a chicken? Gus Polinski, Polka King of the Midwest. If you have to get to Chicago, we'll gladly drive you. Hey, guys. Yesterday, he was just a kid. But tonight, he's a home security system. You guys give up or you're thirsty for more? From John Hughes. You know, I got a feeling this is going to be your best Christmas ever. A family comedy without the family. Whoa! Home alone. Are you here all alone? I'm eight years old. 
You think I'd be here alone? I don't think so. A classic Christmas movie, right? Yeah. Some people don't think that Home Alone should be a classic, but to me, um, it's one of my favorites. I have like five movies I watch every Christmas, and Home Alone 1 and 2 are two of the five, so, right? So we're all pretty familiar with that movie where, you know, Kevin, his family is, is going on a, a trip to France, and, uh, right, they, the storm happens. Well, first of all, Kevin's kind of being... Um, unruly, I think is the way they say it in the movie. Um, I will argue this. I think Kevin being um, a little bit in trouble is um, Buzz's fault. Buzz does not treat him poorly. Buzz treats him pretty poorly. So I blame Buzz. But anyway, he's right. He's really, he has to sleep up in the third floor. And during the night, the storm comes and and the power goes out. So all their alarms are out. And um, in the morning comes up, they realize, oh no, we're not going to make our plane. So they get up late and so they have to scramble out. Well, in the meantime, right, they forget about Kevin that's up on the third floor and that's how he becomes home alone. He's still in Chicago and his family is on their way to France. Um, and then, you know, he's home alone and so they're, they're there. It takes him a while to get there and back and so it's several days and, and he's, he's home alone basically for the week and, and he's doing, um, doing those things at, at home well, they, they showed in there, right, the wet bandits, the burglars. Does anybody know their first in their names? Marvin Harry, yeah, Marvin Harry. I still don't know if I know which one's which. I mean, if I watch it again, I probably, but I always forget. But Marvin Harry, right, they're burglars, and they're in the area, and they're going to, to burglarize and steal from, from homes in the neighborhood. And so they think that um, the McAllister house is empty, that, that nobody's there, and so they're going to, well, then when they come, you know, Kevin's there, but, but he doesn't want them to know he's home alone. So he does all these things, right? He has the, um, he uses the, the mannequins, right? Where it's on the train. Like I always remember the Michael Jordan and he's going around on the train. But to make it look like people are home, he also uses like the movies. You saw the one where the guy with the gun, right? A joke in our house is, um, we always say this, we say, I believe you, but my Tommy gun don't. We, we say it all the time. Um, <laughs> But he uses those movies to basically trick the burglars to think that, that the house is occupied, he's, that he's not home alone. Well, the burglars finally figure out, right, that, that he is home alone, and they say, we're going to come back um, at 9 o'clock on, I think it's Christmas Eve that they're coming back. Um, this kid's tricking us. We're, we're going to do it. Well, he hears that, right, and he, and he comes up with a big scheme to defend. Like one of the movies said, this is my house, and I must defend it. And so he comes up with this plan, right? You can see on the plan, he had the plan all drawn out where he's got the micro machines over here and the red hot and all that. That's his plan. He's planned it out. And so he sets his, his house up to basically, you know, um, get, the, to get the burglars, to get the burglars, to keep them from, from stealing from his house right? And so he does all this. He does it, it all by himself, and, and he's successful. Um, that was kind of a spoiler alert, but he's successful, and he gets away, um, and he runs out um, into his um, treehouse, which I was a little jealous of when I was a kid. I was like, Dad, I want a treehouse like that. So he gets in the treehouse, right? And, he, and, he, and he, he's successful. He's defended his house, and then here's how the movie ends.
wants us to follow him. I got a better idea. Come on. Hiya, pal. We outsmarted you this time. Get over here. What are you gonna do to him, Harry? I'll do exactly what he did to us. And I'll burn his head with a blowtorch. You can smash his face with an iron. I can slap him right in the face with a paint can, maybe. Or shove a nail through his foot. First thing I'm gonna do is bite off every one of these little fingers, one at a time. <laughs> oh! Oh! <laughs> Come on. Let's get you home. And so that, that's how, I mean, there's a little, like, epilogue in there, but that's essentially how the movie ends, right? He, he defends his house, and, he, and he, he runs over, and he's successful. But in the end, he wasn't even really successful, right? He was going to get captured. He was going to get captured until his neighbor came to help him, right? His neighbor is Old Man Marley, Old Man Marley, and he, is, he has the nickname from the neighborhood. He's the South Bend Shovel Slayer, right? And so Kevin, yeah, and so maybe some of you in this room are related to him. Anybody from South Bend? Maybe you're related to Old Man Marley. But Kevin, right, he's successful throughout the week, and he's successful defending his house until the very end. And ultimately, the only way that he succeeded was with help. He wasn't going to succeed. He did it all the way, right? All that throughout the week. He went and bought groceries. He did all that. He, I was going to say he bought a toothbrush. He actually stole a toothbrush. He was successful all week. 99% of the, of the week, he was successful. But at the end, he wasn't going to be successful without old man Marley because he needed help. And we're the same way. We're the same way. We as humans, we need help. We need help. And this is the way that God has designed us. And some scriptures here, Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 and 10 say, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. So we can help each other, right? Two are, two are designed to help each other. Galatians 6, 2 says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carry your burdens, helping each other. And then in Proverbs 27, verse 10 says, Do not forsake your friend or friend of your family, and do not go to your relative's house when disaster strikes you. Better a neighbor nearby than a relative far away. And so when it's a neighbor, right? God puts these neighbors in our lives to help us. I want to go to my neighbor. So I, if my house is burning down, I'm not going to go to, it says, for don't, um, when disaster strikes, for sake, don't go to your family. I'm not going to my family if my house is burning down. They live a half hour away. I'm going to go to a neighbor for help. God puts people in our lives to help us. And just how he did with, with Kevin, right? He put old man Marley 
in his life to help him. I would argue that if Kevin would have went and got help earlier, then he would have, none of this would have happened, right? The neighbor probably would have taken him in and, and he would have not had to defend, to defend his house. And so today, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about what it means to, to get the help that we need. And we're going to look at a verse in Philippians chapter 4. And in this, in this, um, this section of scripture, it's Paul. He is writing to the church of uh, Philippi. And that church of Philippi is helping. Paul is in jail. And the church is, is helping him um, with some needs that he has. And this, this, the, the scripture that we're going to read is like basically his letter back then to the church of Philippi. But there's a couple things I think in here um, that will help us to understand how we can get help. So let me read through this. Again, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 19. And so it's going to come up on the screen or you can look at it in your Bible if you wish. I'll read out of my Bible here. Philippians 4.10, it says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know, that it is to be, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me, or shared, yeah, shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is the more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And so again, we're going to take, I think there's a couple of things that we can, we can take from Paul's letter that, that will talk about the need that we have and, and how uh, we handle those needs. Um, so I'm going to give you a couple of points. Oh, the message style today is just called real needs, real needs. We have real needs. And again, this scripture, I think there's a couple things that, that can talk about those. Um, so before I, I dive in, let me, let me pray. So God, we just thank you. We thank you for, for funny movies. We thank you mostly for Christmas, though, because it's the birth of your son. And so God, as we, as we come to you today, I just ask that you speak to us. We invite your Holy Spirit in to this message, God. Let the words that I speak this morning just be your words. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so you can fill these in in your handout if you wish, but the first point is we can get real with our needs by admitting that we need help. By admitting that we need help.
In verse 11, Paul says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And then later on in verse 17, the beginning, it says, not that I desire your gifts. See, what is happening here is, is Paul is, is wrestling with himself saying, um, I don't really, I don't, hey, I don't need your gifts. Like, I appreciate them, but I, I don't really need them. I can do this, I can do this on my own. He's just, he said this wrestling back and forth. But the thing is, Paul cannot do this on his own. He needs them. He needs their help, but he's reluctant to, to accept that, right? Um, so Paul is writing this from prison. Paul was in prison several times on essentially different levels. I don't know if they called them. Like if you think of like prison now, we have like maximum security and minimum security prison. We also have like house arrest. So Paul at different times was in different levels of prison. During this time, it's more than likely that he was in like a, a more minimum security prison. And it looked, I don't know if it's exactly this. I'm going to use the term house arrest because the prison that he's probably in, basically he, just, he has some freedom to, to stay in his house and do his things. And the guards just basically are there to like keep him there. But with that said, so he is on his own then to supply his needs, like food um, and water and clothing, things like that. The, the jail, the prison doesn't supply that for him. So the only way that he can do that is if he gets the supplies himself. And that's what the church of Philippi is doing. They are, they're, they're communicating back and forth through um, Epaphroditus. And, and so he's getting some of the things he needs through the church. And so it's funny because he's saying, not that, I, not that I need this, right? He says, like, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, but yet he is in need. Right? He's saying, not that I desire your gifts, like that's saying, I don't need your gifts, but yet he does. And so here's Paul kind of wrestling with himself. And I think that's very common to what we as humans, and especially we as Christians, do today. We do today. And I'm not saying this, this is a good thing, right? As Christians, a lot of times we try to be selfless. And we try to, to, to deflect things off of us. And again, that's good. The Bible says that, and this is it. But this is, the point I'm trying to make is we don't always have to do that, right? I think of, there's times where people offer me something like clothing or whatever. I'm like, oh no, I don't, I don't need that. You can give it to somebody else. Um, clothing or food, um, a lot of times it's prayer. This is just kind of an example. So I don't know if it's for you. For me, like, I'm less likely to pray for myself. Like, oh no, I, let me pray for somebody else. Like, but I think we do it because we're trying to be unselfish, right? We don't always have to be unselfish. We can, we can pray for ourselves. This was kind of the example that came to my head that, that, that makes makes sense to me, and this is how I am. So when people ask me, like, how are you doing? 99% of the time, if not more than that, I say, I'm doing good. How are you doing? Doing good. Even in times when I'm not doing good, right? And, and I do that because when we say that, we say, how are you doing? I'm doing good. We're really saying, I don't need your help. I don't need your help. But ultimately, we do need help. We do need help. Paul says um, that he has, uh, it says here, 
Learn to be content in all circumstances. Learning to be content. And so that word content, being content is, is being at peace or satisfied. And so Paul is saying that. He's saying, hey, I learned to live at peace, whether I have a lot, because there's times where Paul's had a lot, or I have a little, like if I'm in jail, there's times I've learned to be at peace. And that's great. But just because we're living at peace doesn't mean that we have needs. I'm not saying this to try to like put in your like, but right now in my life, I am in a season of contentment. I'm in a season where I'm, I'm, at, I'm, in, I'm satisfied and I'm, and I'm at peace. But even during this season, that doesn't mean that I don't have needs. I still have needs. So when Paul says be, he's content, we still have needs. We still have needs. When we deny the help, we're basically saying, no, I can do it on my own. I can do things on my own. So just yesterday, right now I'm in the process of remodeling my bathroom. Um, we're taking out, taking out the tub and putting like a walk-in shower in. And, and I, I have a little bit of idea. My grandpa would work construction. My dad worked construction. So I have an idea about how to do this. But yesterday, my dad, he, you know, he just came up, and I was reluctant. He said, hey, I'll come up, and I'll help you. I'm not doing anything today. I'll come here. And honestly, I was really reluctant to say yes. I'm like, mm, I kind of wanted just to figure it out on my own and do it all. But, but when he came up, man, he, was, it was, he helped me immensely. It was such a good help. I, could do, I did it faster. It's probably a lot higher quality than what I do in myself. Because God, yeah, because God sent him to, to, to help me. That help was needed. And I would even argue this. So we, when we say, right, um, we're reluctant to help because we want to do things on our own or we want to try to prove it to ourselves. So even things that we can do on our own, I would argue that if we get help, they are done better. I refer to it a little bit like my bathroom is probably done better because I got help. But I know this one true. Um, so I have a, out in our yard, we have like a campfire pit. And then around the pit is, um, we have like six or eight posts that go up, you know, like four by four posts. And then around the top of the posts, I put a two by four um, around there, right? And then the campfire pit's in the middle. You guys kind of visualize what I'm talking about. I was going to take a picture. It didn't turn out that well. But, but the posts, I put the posts in. That was fairly easy. You know, I, I put those in. Well, then around the top, when I was, when I was working on it, I was, I was putting these two by fours around the top of the post by myself. And so I'd get up there, and the, and the posts are 12 feet apart. And so I had this 12-foot two by four, and getting up there and trying to measure the length. And I'd get up there, and I'd, and I'd put it up there and screw one end in, and I'd kind of rest the other end. I'd get over on this pole, and I'd, then I'd get that pull in. And sometimes I'd try to hold it up, and it would fall down. And it took me a while. But the thing is, I got it done. It's finished. I got it done. But it doesn't look as good as what it could, it could look. The quality of that, if you came over and looked at the quality, the quality is not that great. It's because I did it myself. If I would have had somebody to help me, the quality would have been way, way higher. I would have had somebody on another ladder and hold it up there. I could have got accurate measurements. It, it would have went, went quicker and it would have looked a lot better. And so for us, when we admit that we need help and we accept that help, 
A, it's a need that we have, and B, the quality of things are just going to be better. And so that was our first point, that we can get real with our needs by admitting that we need help. And the second point is this, we can get real with our needs by understanding where the help comes from. By understanding where the help comes from. The very last verse that we read, verse 19 says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And so if we understand where the help comes from, the help comes from God. The help comes from God. When we understand that, that that's where the help comes from, we're more likely to admit that we need help. I don't know about you, but for me, if I know it comes from God, I, I, don't, I don't want to deny God. And so when we understand our help comes from God, then we're more likely to, to accept that help as well. In Philippians 4.13, a pretty, pretty popular verse from the Bible, it says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And a lot of um, translations say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so our strength, right? It says through Christ who gives me, the, the, the strength comes from Christ or from, from God. In Isaiah 41.10, it says, so do not fear for I, God, I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And so God wants to help us. He's saying, I will help you. Our help comes from God. And so you might say, well, how, how does this happen? How does our help come from God? Our help comes from God, but it's through other people. It's through other people. God gives us this help, right, through other people. I was thinking about this um, an autobiography. I've read a couple autobiographies lately, and um, an autobiography is a book that is written about yourself. So if I wrote my story, my memoirs, it would be my autobiography. So if you ever read an autobiography, the written part of the autobiography is not actually by that person. So Muhammad Ali's autobiography is actually written by somebody else. They just tell somebody that story. They need help. And so you think about it, you're like, this is a story. If you were going to write an autobiography, you'd go and get somebody that has experience in writing, that maybe has a literature degree or a, a, writer, a journalism degree. This is a story about your own life, and yet they're getting help. Because God gives us other people to help. If I wrote an autobiography, first of all, you probably wouldn't read it, and I don't blame you, but if I wrote an autobiography by my, totally by myself, or if I wrote an autobiography with somebody that was writing for me, it's going to be better with somebody that's writing it for me. God puts people in our lives to help us. Uh, there's another example here as a parable. I call it the parable of the drowning man. You guys might have heard um, this story um, in a similar version, but basically there's, there's a man and there's a flood happening. And it's flooding his, you know, his whole area. And so he's, he's on the top, he's on the roof of his house. And he's a, he's, a, he's a righteous man, he's a faithful man. And so he's up there, he's praying to God and say, God, I trust you, I have faith that you're gonna save me. And so he's up there praying and as he's praying, uh, a guy in a rowboat comes by 
He's saying, hey, get in the rowboat. I'll, I'll help you. I'll take you to safety. And the man on the roof says, no, no, no. I'm praying God's going to save me. God is going to save me. And so the rowboat, he goes away and maybe he goes to save somebody else. Then a little while later, as the waters rise even more, here comes a motorboat. And the guy's up, he says, hey, get in the boat. I'll help you. And the man on the roof saying, no, no, no. I'm praying to God. God is going to save me. He's going to save me. So the guy in the motorboat, like, motors away. And the flood waters keep rising. And so it's getting dangerous now. And, and here comes a helicopter. He's on the roof and the helicopter comes and they lower the rope down and say, grab the rope. Let me save you. And the guy on the roof saying, no, no, no. I trust God so much. He is going to save me. He's going to save me. So the helicopter says, okay. And he flies away. Well, the, the, the end of the story is the guy didn't make it. The floodwaters got so high that, that, that he drowned. And when he, when he drowned, he gets to heaven and he says, God, I was praying. Why didn't you save me? And God said to him, he said, well, I sent you a rowboat. And I sent you a motorboat. And I sent you a helicopter. But yet you denied it because you could think you did on his own. And the point of that story is, right, that, yeah, our help comes from God, but God is going to use other people for our help, for our help. And when we think about other people helping us, and that, 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 that God gives us people in our lives to help us, we can look at the ultimate example of that. And that is how God used a person to help us. And that person is Jesus. That person is Jesus. Jesus is our helper to get to heaven. To get to heaven. John 14, 6 says, this is Jesus. He says, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so Jesus is saying, I'm here to help you. I am here sent by God to help you. To help you do what you say? To get to heaven. You see, to get to heaven, we can try to do all these things on our own. We can be like Kevin McAllister and we can do all these things and have success doing them. But it's not gonna get us the entire way. Just like Kevin needed a helper, we need a helper in Jesus to get us to heaven. And doing things, they're good. The Bible says, do all these things, right? You can, you can give to the needy. You can serve at your church. You can, you can be friendly and be loving to others. That's all good stuff. But again, that only gets us, gets us a certain percentage of the way. And it may only get us 99% of the way. The only way to get 100% is if we accept Jesus as our helper. One of the names the Bible gives is, is advocate. He's our advocate, helper. He's come to help you, to get you to heaven. We need to accept Jesus to be our helper, to get us the entire way. You can write this down. Salvation is a need that only Jesus can help with. And I, I chose the words to underline on purpose. If you just look at the two underlined words, what does it say? It says, need Jesus. And so we all need 
Jesus in our lives as our helper, 